Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. One of the kind of the, the things people are worried about with, with you know, images being put on Bitcoin, how it can really you know, slow down or, or prevent other people from sending you know, monetary transactions on Bitcoin. But we're showing that with efficient coding, you can actually have you know, the best of both worlds. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto eight years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 26th, 2023 episode of Unchained. Toku makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax tech support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Make it simple today with Toku. The game has changed. The Google Cloud Oracle, built for Layer 0, is now securing every Layer 0 message by default. Their custom end-to-end solution sets itself up to bring its world-class security to Web3 and establish itself as the HTTPS within Layer 0 messaging. Visit layer0.network to learn more. Arbitrum's leading Layer 2 scaling solutions can provide you with lightning-fast transactions at a fraction of the cost, all while ensuring security rooted on Ethereum. Arbitrum's newest addition, Orbit, enables you to build your own tailor-made Layer 3. Visit Arbitrum.io today. Buy, trade, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Today's guests are Danny Yang and Bill Tai, co-founders of Metagood and creators of OnChain Monkey. Welcome, Danny and Bill. Hey, Laura. Great to be here. Thank you, Laura. Honored to be here again. Bill, you were my third guest, if I remember correctly. So, yes, <laughs> pleasure to have you back. The start of, <laughs> yes. start of the industry, kind of, at the Necker Blockchain Summit. I know. I can't believe that was um, over seven years ago now. But anyway. So part of the reason that I brought you two here was to discuss some recent issues, you could call them, in the Bitcoin ordinals world, and it affects you as creators. Um, But first, why don't we give everybody the backdrop of what you've been doing, and we'll start with your backgrounds pre-Metagood. So Danny, would you like to start? Yeah, so I'm Danny Yang. Uh, Pre-Metagood, I started the Stanford Bitcoin meetup back in 2013. That's when I met Bill, actually, so that's how we connected and True OG. Yeah, yeah. Early days of Bitcoin when we, we were all very, I guess, excited by what we could do and kind of the sky's the limit. And, you know, Bitcoin was kind of the center of attention for, for everything. It was really the, the only thing. And I started a cryptocurrency exchange in Taiwan called MyCoin. That's, that's doing well you know, today, too. Um, and then a couple years later, I started a blockchain analytics company called Blockseer. That was then sold a few years after that. And Bill also was the first investor in both of my, those two, you know, uh, Bitcoin and crypto companies. So I've been, been busy in this space and just, you know, excited to, to see what's happening today too, what we're, we're going to talk about because of the, and the new, new happenings for, for Bitcoin in particular. And Bill? Yeah, and Laura, I think obviously you've known me for quite a while, but uh, I, I somehow was able to see some kind of interesting future for Bitcoin back in 2010. That led me to doing some work on uh, a bunch of different things. Uh, some of the more notable companies that came out of the uh, the industry at that time were uh, Bitfury, of course, where I put together the funding for their uh, first major ASIC chip. I'm still chairman of the board of HUD8 Mining, which uh, we spun out of Bitfury. It used to be our Canadian operation and had funded a bunch of interesting projects like AirSwap uh, with Joe Lubin and Mike Novogratz and Power Ledger and some other things. But uh, Danny, having been the founder of the uh, Stanford Bitcoin Meetup Group, 
And Laura, you will remember, even back on Necker Island, what I wanted to do was create something like the Homebrew Computer Club for this segment. And Danny had already done that. So, you know, as I was attending the Stanford Bitcoin meetup groups, um, young startups like, you know, Zappo or uh, BitGo or Coinbase or whoever would come and present at his meetup. And uh, I just identified, you know, Danny as a node with a lot of talent, given his uh, PhD in computer science at Stanford. And every question that I had that was technical, he could answer. And so one day I walked up to him and I said, hey, if you ever start a company, I'm writing a check. And that uh, became the first company he mentioned. Uh, and I funded it along with uh, some real OGs like Charlie Lee, Bobby Lee, uh, Jed McCaleb, um, people like that. And then that turned into you know another funding for Blockseer. Both of those companies have been successful. And uh, third time around, you know, I was like, Danny, let's do this one together. So, uh, so I wrote a check and we put together MetaGood. Yeah. And I just want to urge listeners, if you have not heard the third episode of Unchained with Bill, you definitely should go back and listen to it. Uh, Bill, am I remembering correctly? I think your days in the tech industry started in like in the 1980s, maybe. Yes. I'm very old. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, you and I are not that far apart in age. um, So I would, I wouldn't say you're old. However, I remember that just listening to it, I felt like I was getting a masterclass in how internet technology had developed through the decades. So um, for listeners who are sort of interested in how technology developed pre-crypto and how we got to this point where blockchains were even possible, um, I suggest that episode. I still remember being like, whoa, I feel like I'm learning so much and I just loved it. Um, so as you you know, mentioned, you guys had known each other, you uh, invested in Danny's companies. So what was the idea behind Metagood and how did you come up with it? It's it's around uh, how you know NFTs and, t- and tokens are actually a very powerful tool, in particular for aligning communities around you know a common goal, you know, a common cause. So that that was the idea for for Metagood actually. Yeah. So and, let me let me uh, amplify that a bit. So you know, obviously, given that uh, crypto and Bitcoin in particular, you know, when it started, we're sort of uh, it, it is it's a decentralized thing that allows economic alignment of interest across communities of interest. And of course, the uh, the beginnings were all about technology, then it moved into kind of this like financial sort of phase, um, which, you know, frankly, I'm not that interested in all the speculative crap that just wasn't for me. And I was always more interested in the technology and applications for social good. And one of the things that we thought we could do with MetaGood was align interest around just getting people collab to collaborate on missions that made sense and were important for the world. And Laura, you might remember our little Hanu kitty that uh, yes, yeah, Richard Branson helped us launch. You know, So we did a little experiment many years ago to uh, create the very first NFT. I don't even know if they were called NFTs, then, but uh, whatever, it was a digital asset that uh, when I had uh, put up some of the early money for Dapper Labs, CryptoKitties, if you go all the way back to CryptoKitties, I was funding CryptoKitties <laughs> and I told Roam at the time, I said, hey, Roam, you know, it's it's very fun to spin digital cats around in exchange, but I want this to have some purpose. So I will write a check if you will do a favor for me, which is create me a special edition CryptoKitty that I can auction off at an ocean conservation gala that I'm doing in about three months. So that gave birth to something called Hanu Kitty, which was a crypto kitty with a shell. And we sold that, gave the money to Captain Paul Watson and got him to park his ship in front of the turtle nesting area off the island of Antigua and protect the turtles by having people walk the beaches. So it was kind of the first first ocean conservation NFT sold for a, a substantial amount. And it was also one of the first things that really tied the use case of aligning communities to doing something in the real world that had purpose. So that was the story around why we wanted to try to do something with a broader set of people, make it more lower friction, more replicable and scalable. And we have done that. So and I'll, I'll let Danny take it from there following your next set of questions. Well, I, you know, one comment that I wanted to make about that kitty was just that I remember like generally, like, cause you, you know, you have your handle on Twitter, kite VC. 
Um, and you know, you're really into kite surfing and just general like water things. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, you know, this is really interesting because this is a way of just saying, hey, I have this interest in the real world and I feel like I can use this technology in a way to kind of spread awareness and generate interest and actually um, raise the funds to uh, to further my own mission with that. So um, I just feel like there are a lot of things there around how blockchain communities generally think about, you know, they they tend to have like specific goals or or, you know, values or whatever. And this is, I think, one of the early instances of somebody doing something like that. Um, so, so back to MetaGood, um, Danny, you know, did you want to add more on the story of how it came together and what the mission is? Yeah. So we were building, you know, the, the platforms for, for actually, you know, doing this with NFTs, um, and ended up launching our own community first on chain monkey. And that's what we've been you know, focused on the last two years. And, and yeah, so, and, and on chain monkey. monkey. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'll it, just it, highlight one of the it, things that, you know, Danny's been able to accomplish uh, by launching uh, and he should talk about the technology and the firsts that the company achieved by putting things on chain in the beginning instead of just, you know, like JPEGs that were digitized and stuck on a server somewhere. And he's done some incredibly interesting work putting things on chain generated from the blocks. And he can go into more detail on that. But one of the results of the community action uh, as these uh, items have uh, have traded, exchanged, exchanged hands, whatever, uh, a portion of that went into a pool. And so now there's a DAO. So, you know, obviously you've done a lot of work on DAOs, Laura, and I think DAOs are, are basically a community currency, you know, or a community, uh, a community's way to accrue and exchange value. And we had man- managed to generate an incredibly, uh, you know, for a small, tiny capitalized startup, we generated a lot of capital in a DAO that has gone on to do real world things, um, you know, including, for example, the evacuation of Afghan girl, uh, Sharbat Gula, when the U.S. pulled out. Somebody had to pay for that uh, paramilitary operation to get her family out of Afghanistan to Italy, and that was funded by our DAO. And now the community. And I'm sorry, Afghan girl. Who who is that? Uh, that's a, so. The, there's a uh, there's a very famous National Geographic cover shot of a beautiful oh. young lady with the staring green eyes that became right. a Western icon. And when uh, the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, her and her entire family were at risk. So the uh, there was a woman. Uh, there is a woman named Sophia Swire who uh, quarterbacked an effort with the consulate of Italy to find a path for her to be evacuated, but it needed funding. And our community got behind it and fueled that whole operation. That's just one example of many things that the Dow went on to fund. You know, we've, we've managed to rehabilitate uh, skate parks in Brazil and just, you know, lots of other things that give communities places and spaces for their members to actually you know, live in the real world where the, uh, those skate parks, for example, were destroyed by floods. So we restored spaces for them. And now the DAO, it's it's quite well established and it has a lot more purpose that aligns with the company itself, where uh, the DAO funds are actually fueling the development of the protocols that uh, are aligning ordinals with, you know, the, the, the innovations that Danny's created. Dan, Danny's work, by the way, if you look at the ordinals GitHub uh, or GitHub, the top several items are all contributions from him. So he's pushing forward many of the things that make ordinals uh, productive and useful in the real world. And uh, I, I, I hit too many points there, so I should stop <laughs> and let you dissect those. Yeah, well, so let's, we'll go back um, to just talk a little bit about OnChain Monkey. Um, for those who haven't seen, uh, they're very kind of simplified um, monkey images, I guess, like half of the torso and then up. And, um, you know, it's just like a circle and then two little arcs for ears. Um, Generative AI then- art before AI suddenly became this giant buzzword two years ago. <laughs> We did this. We did this before that wave. So, wow. of art, um, I mean, the thing about, or actually, on chain R two. So it's called you know on chain monkey, you know, for a reason. Uh, and the 
I think the, the new term that we've been using is called digital artifact, which, which is actually, let me define what that is, because it, that's kind of what we, you know, we, we were trying to achieve then, or we, we didn't have a name for it, but we, that's what we achieved back then on Ethereum. But now we have a new protocol on Bitcoin for digital artifacts. Uh, and that's, uh, you could say it's a subclass of NFTs. Um, so a digital artifact is something, well, first that's ownable. That's kind of like given for NFTs and, and tokens that we're talking about. Although digital ownership is something that's interesting to talk about too. We can talk about that later. But but then there are a few other properties, basically five properties in total that this is also what Casey Rotomer defined clearly when he defined the Oros protocol as a protocol for digital artifacts. So ownable, complete, uncensorable, immutable, and permissionless. So I'll quickly go over what each one of those means. So complete means that the the asset itself is completely on chain or represented on on chain. So uh, that's a actually a big difference from the the NFT protocol we're generally familiar with, which is the one on Ethereum and EVMs, which is the ERC seven twenty one protocol for NFTs. So that's one tied to digital certificates. Basically, an NFT is something that has a unique identifier, uh, a, a certificate or an ID. And that ID can be basically a link, like an IPFS link, or it could be just a, a standard ATF or like a .com URL link, right? That's the protocol that developed, you know, after you know, af- after like CryptoPunks and CryptoKitties, then you know, the Ethereum community formed this basically a very broad and simple NFT protocol, right? Around ERC seventy one, around digital certificates, because you're 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 trading unique identifiers on Ethereum blockchain, and that went on for many years. The on-chain NFT community kind of formed a little later, and on-chain Monkey was one of them too, which we wanted more than just a certificate or pointer. We wanted the, the actual digital asset to be represented completely on-chain. So that's completeness. The second is uncensorable. I mean, well, that's kind of a, a given property of Bitcoin and, and many of these uh, open uh, permissionless. Uh, so uncensorable, immutable, and permissionless. Those are the other three properties uh, that you have with uh, this Basically, with this particular protocol of um, you know, ordinals, uh, that th- those also may or may not be true for all NFTs or, or for let's say ERC seven twenty one NFTs. So, like these are the kind of five kind of um, significant properties of a digital artifact that you know we were we achieved back on Ethereum, but now that we have a new protocol, uh, we're, we're doing it on ordinals because it's it's, it's created around these these properties. And just to touch on the image as you described it, Laura, so rather than a drawing per se that is stuck on a server that a pointer goes to with with like most NFTs, Danny basically wrote a math expression with a data table where algorithmically every one of those things is generated on the fly. So it's actually, uh, you know, it's truly, truly on chain. So to, to all the elements that he described, those five properties, it's coming off that block. So it's a it's a you know much more true to the spirit of decentralized assets. Exactly, that's that's a part of the generative art side of things. And in particular, when I launched Onchain Monkey in two thousand twenty-one, it was um, so Ethereum and blockchains and, and Bitcoin they're, they're like uh, they're a public good, and also anything that you write onto the chain costs quite a lot of money, right? Or rather, you use it up, and someone else cannot use it, so you have to pay for that usage and to actually put you know ten thousand images onto the blockchain is very expensive, so you can actually write code that generates the images, which is much more compact. So, and and then actually part of the art of the original art of Onchain Monkey back in twenty twenty one on Ethereum was that this whole collection of ten thousand had to be an interesting collection of ten thousand images. So it's not just kind of random monkey images, but there's kind of interesting distribution across the the whole collection. And done in a very compact representation on Ethereum. So, and in, in this case, it was done in one transaction, which is kind of also showing kind of the the kind of the, the whole thing was birthed in one kind of atomic transaction, one transaction, and that was a challenge because within one transaction, there's a certain limit to how much you can do in a given Ethereum transaction. So th- that was kind of the uniqueness first of just doing a whole collection that's on chain with these properties of digital artifact in one transaction. And that was also what we achieved when we um, did it on Bitcoin you know, early this year. So uh, we actually created the whole 10K collection of Anche Monkey on Bitcoin. So all these 10,000 images and metadata describing them uh, in a single inscription that only also took up very few uh, bytes 
of Bitcoin's block space. So uh, it used less than 20 kilobytes of Bitcoin block space for 10,000 images. So that, you know, on average is less than two bytes per image, which is, you know, super efficient on Bitcoin. So it didn't affect the network, the Bitcoin network. That's one of the kind of the, the things people uh, are worried about with, with, you know, images being put on Bitcoin, how it can really, um, you know, slow down or, or prevent other people from sending you know, monetary transactions on Bitcoin. But we're showing that with efficient coding, you can actually have, you know, the best of both worlds. Yeah, and I just want to point out for listeners who aren't aware, um, at least so, <laughs> I'm going to describe this uh, the way that I know it works on Ethereum, um, and then you know you could translate for Bitcoin. But you know, on Ethereum, I'm sure you're aware you have to pay gas, and so um, it's somewhat similar to driving a car, where certain transactions take less gas. Meaning, you know, it's like uh, like a simple transaction would be similar to you know if e- uh, I here in New York City want to go across to Jersey City or something. That's like a short distance. Um, whereas it would cost more gas if I want to go to like Philadelphia, even more gas if I want to go to DC. And so like creating an NFT takes a lot of gas because you're making a unique object. And so the fact that you were able to do 10,000 of them in a single transaction, I think is, um, you know, w- what you were talking about there about um, how that was, you know, remarkably efficient. And then one other thing that I uh, wanted to mention about on-chain monkey was you also introduced this concept of give to earn that I think aligns pretty well with the mission of the collection. So can you just talk about that concept? Yeah. So we have a community currency called the banana that the, the only way to, to, to receive it, or you can say to mine it is you give it to someone else and then you get one yourself and you can do that a couple of times a day. And that's been going on for you know, nearly two years now. And I think probably about a, just over a million bananas have, have been mined in this way. And basically our, our community has been doing this and, and it, it promotes a certain, uh, we also define a, a set of values from our community from, you know, beginning when we launched it, RISE, that our community, you know, kind of shares, you know, on a daily basis too, which stand for respect, integrity, sustainability, and enrichment. So, and both the give to earn and the RISE values are, you know, kind of the core part of our community on Chainmonkey. And Laura, what we wanted to model were, you know, kind of very, very, very basic economic principles. So if you think about, you know, a group of people, as they exchange items, you grow the economy. So we wanted to steer our economy in a way that was for public benefit in a way. So, you know, as people do good things for each other and give, you know, things to each other, they also earn. So it's sort of a, you know, the creative little, little bits of karma that spawn other bits of karma as currency that become giant, giant, you know, economic value. That's, that's what we are driving. Yeah. It's so funny, right? When you started that description, I was like, oh, like karma. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So uh, we've sort of hinted at this, but um, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, you guys started on Ethereum and then you, you know, began also putting, you know, parts of your works on Bitcoin, in particular, a collection called Onchain Monkey Dimensions 300. To talk about why it is that you started on Ethereum and why you eventually decided to, you know, la- launch something on Bitcoin, and we'll get later to your even bigger news about eventually moving everything over there. But but let's just start with that first step. Yeah. So it's because Ordo's protocol, you know, happened also at the right time where um, the the markets understand. NFTs is a little better, and and we've seen NFT um, ecosystem develop on you know Ethereum, Solana, and, and other chains. Yet Bitcoin didn't really have much of a you know NFT market. And then this this protocol, Orange Protocol, basically happened along, and it's actually a very simple and elegant protocol that that takes advantage of many properties of, of Bitcoin, particularly the UTXO model of, of Bitcoin. Uh, that's the core of the the Orange Protocol. So. Yeah, unspent yeah. transaction output, um, which yeah. is like the change from every transaction. Yeah, which is very different from you know Ethereum and account like the account based model of Ethereum. Account based model is more, I guess, intuitive for people generally. It's like your bank account. While Bitcoin's ledger is tied around this UTXO model, and and this ledger, so Bitcoin has this very simple scripting language, uh, simple by design. Just you know, Bitcoin has these great properties, uh, but because it doesn't have a 
you know, the, the smart contract that Ethereum and EVMs have, right? It's been difficult to create a, a kind of a, a native Bitcoin, non-fungible asset, you know, on Bitcoin. And that's what, you know, Casey was able to do with the Orleans protocol. So it's, it's actually quite Bitcoin native using the, the same ledger accounting model of Bitcoin, which is the UTXO model. So this is a really powerful thing to let anyone define any basic digital asset on, on Bitcoin so that 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 digital asset or that digital artifact you know, has those properties I mentioned before, which is, you know, th- those five products that people can basically you know, own and trade them. So so that happened, you know, basically end of last year, early this year. Um, but it was still in the very even today, it's still in the very early days of that particular implementation of the protocol and even the definition of the program. And that's why we have, and we'll talk about this inscription number debate that, that's been going on the last you know, the last week or so. It's mainly around basically how early it is. But, you know, we recognize that this was something pretty significant for, for Bitcoin. Uh, it, it is basically, you know, kind of the, I'd say, you know, the winning, you know, NFT protocol or standard on, on Bitcoin. So that that you know, and it'll be quite important, you know, leading to and, and post the the next having, you know, for for Bitcoin, and we're already seeing that with you know the majority of Bitcoin transactions, you know, this year has been Bitcoin or nodes related, and a lot of the mining fees that are going to the miners who secure the Bitcoin network are coming from you know Bitcoin or node transactions. So so it's already having an impact, uh, while it's still quite a, an early market where actually. Many people don't quite understand the protocol yet and haven't really dug into you know, seeing kind of the, the significance and what you could do you know, with it. And so I think we're talking about OCM Dimensions. That was one thing that we launched that we wanted to show what you could do with this protocol uh, because it's more than, uh, I think people were in general think of entities as basically a digital certificate. So you just need to define some unique identifier and that's your NFT. Uh, the while with the Ordinals protocol, it's actually because it's it's not tied around the, the tied data of a certificate. It's actually tied around the complete asset itself. Then it's you know what is that asset? What could you do with it? And initially, what people did with it was just well, we can we can basically make images onto Bitcoin, and that is actually as we talked about earlier, can be very expensive when you want to you know images are are you know basically you know. Lar- larger file size type of data assets. And uh, if you want to just do that on Bitcoin, it's going to be expensive and inefficient. So with the OCM dimensions, we were showing, well, wait a second. We can actually write code that generates images or other things, even beyond images. And so it's actually, you know, it's a it's an artifact that's based off of code that generates, you know, actually 3D renderings of, and in this case, it's, a, it's usually it's a statue of OCM the Genesis uh, monkeys. So it's, it's actually, you know, 3D rendering of an animated and, you know, it, it's actually, you know, pretty cool and, and high resolution because it actually scales. We're, we're actually rendering them from the, the data on Bitcoin into, you know, any any browser. So it scales to the size of the display, all kind of a bunch of, you know, cool properties of, of what you could do with this protocol. And so that was you know, the art of, of this particular collection. And a couple of questions. So for um, ordinals, I believe that they're still, they don't, I don't know if they have quite the same level of expressibility as Ethereum NFTs. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, The way that Ethereum NFTs can be, you know, for instance, like a domain name or um, tickets or, you know, other things um, besides yeah, like like You mean mean the the use cases of NFTs or uh, because actually the expressibility of Ethereum entities is really, it's a unique identifier. And then you identifier and then can point to you know, whatever you want. Uh, right. For for what um, the design for Ornos is around, as I said, the digital artifact. So what you want to create is actually what you can, basically what, what you can describe, you know, in, in a, in a, you know, some bits and bytes on, on Bitcoin. You, you and can, would you, would that include something like a like a blockchain domain name? So you yeah so because it's actually tied around basically you know, just just you know data you could so actually this is a kind of powerful thing where people are uh, because it's just data on Bitcoin that has these properties 
you can make that data mean whatever you want. So you could even just say, well, this data is the same as the Ethereum identifier for NFTs. So it could it could potentially represent all those things. But what people are doing with it is actually they're defining their own new protocols on top of the Ordos protocol. We're saying, well, you know, this this is how like this data that I'm writing has these meanings, and I'll use it to to do something else. So that's actually the really cool one of the really cool things about Ordinals is that it's launching addition. People are launching additional protocols on Bitcoin uh, using you know this new protocol because it's basically it's kind of, it's basically the or, or as a data layer, right? It's a data layer for anything else that you want to develop. I'll throw one word out there for Danny, which is a foundational data layer. So if you think about Bitcoin in the quote old days when we did that first podcast seven years ago, you know, it was kind of a store of value. And then during the speculative phases, it became a risk asset. But there was a big gap in between where there was not any real perceived utility for it other than storing or speculating. And that giant gap was filled by Ethereum and the many other chains that emerged, you know, all all of those, you know, there's many of them. But uh, what Ordinals does is it creates this foundational layer that allows the data to represent whatever you want it to represent. And it introduces the capability for developers to fill that gap with the Bitcoin blockchain, which is, as everybody knows, the most robust old guard chain out there. So it's uh, it, it's kind of just finally, finally filling that gap that allows a whole ecosystem and uh, econ- sets of economies t- to be built on the original chain. Yeah, I, I, I guess just from what you're describing, it almost sounds like what you're saying is that it allows for more Ethereum-like capabilities that then, you know, the way Ethereum has like multiple DeFi protocols built on it, it would allow us to, okay, okay. So, all right, that, well, super fascinating. So we're going to discuss more about that, more about Bitcoin ordinals generally, and also why you guys decided to move your entire collection over from Ethereum to Bitcoin. But first, a quick word for the sponsors who make this show possible. Toku makes managing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. Are you designing your token compensation plan and grant templates with multiple law firms? Are you managing cliffs, vesting, and taxable events in a spreadsheet? Are you distributing tokens to your team manually? With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax tech support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Easy-to-use token grant award templates, vesting tracking via online dashboard, tax withholding integration with payroll, automated distributions, great employee experience. Make it simple with Toku. Learn more at toku.com unchained. The game has changed. The Google Cloud Oracle, built for Layer 0, is now securing every Layer 0 message by default. Their custom end-to-end solution sets itself up to bring its world-class security to Web3 and establish itself as the HTTPS within Layer 0 messaging. Visit LayerZero.network to learn more. Join over 80 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, trade, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere and get rewarded at every step. Up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Arbitrum stands at the forefront of innovation as the premier suite of Layer 2 scaling solutions, bringing you lightning-fast transactions at a fraction of the cost, all with security rooted on Ethereum. From DeFi to gaming, Arbitrum 1 plus Nova is home to over 500 projects. And with the recent launch of Orbit, Arbitrum welcomes you to build your very own tailor-made Layer 3, or as the Arbitrum ecosystem calls it, an Orbit chain directly on the Arbitrum tech stack. Designed with you in mind, Arbitrum empowers you to explore and build without compromise. Propel your project and community forward by visiting Arbitrum.io today. Back to my conversation with Danny and Bill. So as we mentioned, you're now going to be shifting your entire MetaGood NFT collection from Ethereum to Bitcoin. Why did you decide to make that shift? Why not just keep the original where it was, You know, have your dimensions over on ordinals 
why why cause such a disruption? Yeah, we, we see it as kind of the natural shift. Um, you know, Orno's protocol is something that's quite significant for, for Bitcoin and for crypto overall. So it made sense for us to to make this move and and also to kind of to lead the way and, and show that, you know, that this is something that is worth, you know, other communities and, and people, you know, using. So so we're bringing our communities to, you know, Bitcoin Ornos. And we also inscribe, so OCM Dimensions was the that that um, high definition 3D um, art, but OCM Genesis is our original, the SVG, you know, 2D, you know, images that we launched, you know, two years ago on Ethereum. And also on, on Bitcoin, we were, as I mentioned, you know, we were uh, first also show you could do that in a very efficient way on, on Bitcoin. And we inscribed, you know, 10K of these monkey images uh, back in early February. So now we've been waiting to basically distribute them uh, also in this this new way called, you know, parent-child collection provenance so that, you know, everyone who owns the Ethereum one can basically upgrade to the, the Bitcoin or no. And that's happening around the you know, the next few weeks. We should start that migration. So, so that that is um, yeah, our, yeah, our but, big group. But what was like the reason why you thought, you know, instead of just we'll have one on Ethereum, one on Bitcoin, like why move everything over to Bitcoin? Yeah, for what we're doing, it, it's around basically the protocol is a better fit. So, a protocol around digital artifacts is a better fit than one around digital certificates because we were so so or notes didn't exist when we launched in twenty twenty one. So. If it had existed, we would have launched directly on Bitcoin. This is the protocol for digital artifacts. So also that's why we're moving now, because now this exists and it makes sense for, for Anche Monkey, you know, our collection. Okay. Um, now let's just talk a little bit about what's going on in Ordinals these days, because creator Casey Rodemore made a proposal last week that was somewhat surprising. And, um, you know, as you described, there's, you know, this way of, numbering um each of the the ordinals or um because yeah. of yeah the numbering of the satoshis in the whole bitcoin blockchain um but he proposed deprioritizing that system so why did he do this like what problem is he trying to solve yeah so let, let's go back to the ordinals protocol there's so i i describe it in basically there's three parts to the ordinals protocol uh part one is the Satoshis or Orno theory itself, which is how you identify um, Bitcoin or Satoshi. The Satoshis are the smallest unit of a Bitcoin. So uh, Orno theory is identifying or numbering them in order. And there's actually no dispute about this. That's very clear. In fact, this is this original idea was first publicly proposed by Charlie Lee back uh, more than 10 years ago in Bitcoin talk. <laughs> uh, like how you could basically number UTXOs and Satoshis within you know, the, the Bitcoin graph so that you could do some things with it by this this first in, first out method, basically Orno theory. Uh, so that that's kind of long established and independently um, people had these ideas. The second part is around the inscription. So that is new. That is basically the ability to write data onto Bitcoin. That part, what how you define the inscription to be included or the data that someone writes to be valid or included in this protocol that that has been evolving over the you know the last year so that's where actually this um th- this debate actually um it, it, that's the source of this debate the third part is how do you map the inscription to the satoshi or the ordinal so that actually is very important because that's the assignment of ownership of the inscription so these are basically the three parts that define ordinal protocol basically part one is just what the heck is an ordinal? Part two is what the heck is an inscription? And part three is how do you assign the ownership of inscriptions to, to ordinals? Because ordinals are a thing that you can own because ordinals are Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin is a ledger of, of Bitcoin. Okay, so it's the second point that has been causing, I guess, the, the most debate because the definition of an dis- inscription is still getting finalized and it should be final kind of by the 1.0 release. We're at the 0.9 release of the ordinals protocol implementation. So uh, I think during this last year, we're kind of, we're figuring out, and, and in fact, now we're quite close to kind of the, uh, pretty much the, the the definition of an inscription that everyone can um, be happy going forward. You know, so the issue is because it has, the, the definition of an inscription has changed slightly over the last year, then 
we have some inscriptions that uh, were not recognized or recognized at different points in time. And so people had already numbered them. So this is then based on the off-chain indexing of all inscriptions. So we mentioned earlier inscriptions are kind of immutable, right? And, and that's still true. The inscription itself is the data that you write on Bitcoin is immutable. And the sequence of them is also locked in by the Bitcoin ledger or Bitcoin blockchain itself tells you, like you can look up the, the inscription and see when, how they're ordered. The issue is that when they came out, you know, whenever they did, at the time of, the, of when they were recognized by the protocol, the display or the indexers that showed the inscription to people uh, on the website, ordinals.com in particular is the main one that people go to. The, uh, there was a basically a numbering of them that was layered on top of the on-chain data. And that number is the inscription number that is basically um, that people are debating because the number, basically they numbered them sequentially uh, by the indexer. And so someone, let's say, bought the number 1,000, right? Inscription number 1,000. And, and the, the value and the attachment to that inscription was actually the more the number than the actual data of the inscription. And so people were trading and assigning value to that inscription, which, which um, because of the number, right? And, and later on, when the inscription, what, what the definition of inscription was a little broader, there might've been a couple of other inscriptions that, that actually on chain were earlier than that 1000, inscription number 1000. So if you count them through, then the inscription 1000 becomes, let's say, 1,010, right? And that number has changed. It, it, because there a lot of value is tied in the number for the early ones, you know, obviously the people who own them um, are, are, you know, upset or worried that that affects the value of their, uh, their ordinal inscription. And so, so that's what we're kind of debating. In the long term, it's actually uh, not a big deal. But in the short term, it's actually, it's nice to see the, the community, the whole oral community now, you know, in, in this debate of what's an inscription and how do we move forward and how do we solve, you know, the issues. Both sides have have legitimate um, points on this. On the Orinos team side, the reason that or Casey is, is proposing, um, basically, you could say this renumbering, or rather, the de-emphasis on the inscription number is that th- this is a a more um, general and, and scalable way for the future because you don't rely on this indexing this particular indexing you rely on actually what's the ordering on chain because you can look at you can always look on the bitcoin chain to see what the, the actual ordering is but i think that there will be a basically kind of a, a solution that that is preserves both because there is the numbers were part of the ornos growth in history like the the reason inscriptions took off in the early days was actually around this number because people actually liked the numbers. So that helped grow in the early days, you know, Ornos protocol. You know, one, one possible solution for this is really the Ornos protocol develops in the most general and, you know, scalable and best, you know, best way. While you can actually use the protocol itself to record the early inscription numbers up to some, some point, right? And so you have to have both. Um, but, but right now, you know, it's still, kind of, um, it, it, it just came up last week, so... You know, people are, are kind of learning about the issues and 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 kind of weighing in on both sides and possible solutions. I can't predict what's going to happen, obviously, but, um, you know, humans get excited about funny things sometimes. And to me, <laughs> individually, it's not that different than phone numbers. You know, like everybody has a phone, not everybody, but most people have a phone number. Different people are attached to those numbers. Some are perceived as more interesting or valuable or not. But some of those numbers are more more sought after just because they're interesting numbers. Now, so where does this all go? I have no idea. I think in the end, the asset value will overcome the number, you know, but we'll have to see. Yeah. And um, is there any particular method by which the community will come to resolve this? Because obviously, you know, Bitcoin, it doesn't quite have the same tools around like DAOs and stuff the way that we see in Ethereum. So is it just since Casey said so, then, you know, as long as the community discussion seems to be supportive, it'll go through or like, how, how does this even get decided? That's a great point. It's basically how does a, a protocol that, um, you get, you know, 
get further along and how do you do improvement proposals, right? Like, like BIPs for Bitcoin. And that, that is, that is something that also, I think it is a good time to, you know, right now to kind of work out more clearly, you know, overall for, for this. Um, one of the things that was suggested a while back was having something like BIPs, but for Orono. So I mean, OIP, they called it OIPs. So, so I think <laughs> we'll probably have something like that where, you know, people can propose things and then it gets, uh, you know, discussed and discussed, and then you know someone will will implement it, and it might go go into the the protocol. Okay, and and just uh, you might have said this, but for the record, you are supportive of how uh, to resolve this issue. I think it's so. So there. So, so right now, the discussions are happening in the, the Ornos GitHub. So actually, if you we can share the link later, but in you know Ornos, basically GitHub slash Ornos slash ORD. Uh, there's a discussions tab, and actually, the the most active one right now is a, around this the inscription the numbering, and so I, I pro- propose something in there, which is basically something that can can let the or team develop, you know, as as they want to, which is to to simplify the, the implementation of the protocol, uh, while we also inscribe or basically use the protocol itself to record all the inscription numbers uh, up till now, so that people can. Basically, in a you know permanent and immutable way, uh, always have that inscription number that you know they, they were uh, they were um, that they you know received when when it happened because that, that's kind of the history of, of this. So you, you have to use the tool of Oranos to record the history of what happened um, you know up up till the protocol updated uh, upgraded you know to the one point release in particular. Okay, so one other thing that I saw on a technical level that you had been discussing, Danny, was how you generally feel that standards are needed in ordinals. So talk a little bit about what problem you're seeing there and how you think that should be resolved. Yeah, so I think this is back to also the earlier point of you know, how how do how does um, ordinals kind of improve, right? Our ordinals is still not at the one point of release, so there are basically there are a, a few powerful features that. That uh, have not um, come out yet. Yeah, one of them is actually around recursive endpoints and reinscription. Uh, so those, uh, because they, uh, some of these haven't come out yet, and also people are writing new, um, you know, meta protocols on top of Orno. So there's actually a, it's actually like a Cambrian explosion thing, which is actually great. But but to to get more adoption, generally, you know, people do need to kind of say, well, these are these are like certain certain ways that you can can do things so that it's easier to um yeah for 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 you know people to interoperate and and so one is around just you know how do you define um basically nft collections like erc 721 also had a metadata standard that was widely adopted so people can basically create the you know the this nft collections and, and browsers like or or no sorry NFT uh, marketplaces could all use them, and, and it could be very easy across um, all the different, uh, you know, third-party software. For Ornos, it's still quite early, so uh, we're, we're still figuring that out. Um, in fact, the collection problem is, or even just defining the Orno collection. So that was, I think, one of my main points early on is, you know, we uh, we uh, up till now, the standard way to create a basic Orno collection. Um, wasn't standard. So that was kind of the, the main point first is just, well, people want to create collections of Oranos, but there was no standard way to do it. So people kind of just did it their own way. Um, it's like free crypto kitties on Ethereum. Yeah. So but <laughs> that, that the, with the recent release, that, that standard is almost there, which is what I mentioned earlier, this, this, um, this parent-child collection problem standard. Or I think someone is using the term genetic parents now, which is kind of cool because you know, Bitcoin, the, this UTXO model is a directed graph. So you can actually ba- basically create collections based on like a family tree type of, um, um, you know, structure, which is uh, yeah, unique basically to, to Bitcoin for, for our collections. So that should produce some level of scalability and, you know, more usability, a lot more ac- activity on the chain. And Obviously, what's good for ordinals, if that happens, is good for Bitcoin, if that happens. And obviously, if it's good for Bitcoin, it's good for the whole ecosystem because all of the assets kind of flow together. 
So everybody that's listening to this should want the standards to come, the scalability to be there, and, and the Cambrian explosion that Danny talked about to just accelerate, to make the whole ecosystem a little happier. Yeah, and the thing is that having is coming up, you know, in spring next year, and that's going to be a, a big, um, it's kind of built-in growth mechanism in the Bitcoin protocol, right? Because it forces the issue of we need growth in Bitcoin or else the miners who secure Bitcoin will suffer, right? So, and that's, we've had that the last three cycles because of this, this forcing issue. And, and now, you know, we have this, basically this deadline, right? The having is coming, you need growth on Bitcoin. And one of the great opportunities for growth is, is Bitcoin Ordinals. So that's also why, you know, we're moving everything over to Bitcoin because we see this as a, you know, great, great time in the market to be building on Bitcoin using this new protocol that's actually very powerful. And it also helps answer a little bit of the question, if it all works, what happens when there are no more block rewards? You know, because this, this has been a question overhanging the Bitcoin ecosystem for a while. Like, you know, why do you put up a mining operation when you know that eventually there's nothing that comes out if you do the work? Right. So uh, presuming that there is utility. Well, and from of, the block. Yes. From, yes. So yeah, I think uh, like you would still hopefully generate uh, transaction fees. There we go. So, what, so the, and what causes this? I think the, the, the percentage of transaction fees driven by ordinals now is what, Danny? It's about half. Yeah. So, so already in a year and a half, it's half. It's half, it's half of the transactions are related. all the other stuff over 13 years. Which is yeah. great and good for Bitcoin because I think, yeah, before then, uh, security was a big question mark. For Bitcoin. Um, so one other technical um, kind of innovation that looks super interesting is, again, something that I saw you'd written about, Danny, called recursive ordinals. So describe what those are and give some examples of what they are or how they work. Yeah, so recursion, so recursion in terms of like programming or math is when you have a self-referential function. In the, in the ordinals case, um, you know, Casey defined them as recursive inscriptions. So basically inscriptions are called other inscriptions, not, not quite your own inscription, although you can, I suppose. But, but yeah, so the idea is that um, it's actually the, the idea around this is, is like is composability or modularity of, of um, code in particular. So if, if, you, if you're a programmer and you're writing programs, you often want to call other functions or other programs that other people have written. And that's actually kind of the power of this, this idea of recursive inscriptions that if you create an inscription, you can actually reference other inscriptions in your inscription. So, so that's recursion. That, that's, a, that's what uh, recursion refers to in the Ornos sense. And that's very powerful when the inscriptions in particular can be code, because then you can actually write code that calls other code. And you can use anyone's code because, you know, Bitcoin and Ornos is a public ledger. So any inscription in the past that's done something, um, you know, a future person can use that in their inscription. And so one example would be when we, when we uh, inscribed OCM dimensions, we said this was you know, 3D generative art on Bitcoin. But we also inscribed several uh, code libraries, 3.js and p5.js, and also some compression libraries. Those libraries can be used by other people in the future. And that's what's happening. You know, other people are actually using you know, the 3.js and the p5.js in particular for doing you know, generative art, because those are very popular libraries, you know, for, for, you know, digital and, and generative art. And, and they don't have to basically, you know, re-inscribe the, or they don't have to inscribe those themselves, right? Because block space is expensive. They can just, you know, use them in their inscriptions without, yeah, because it's already on chain. And, and also in terms of, you can think of it even as a kind of decentralized GitHub, people can actually, you know, write, write you know, more code and snippets of code that other people can use. And also, it's a record of all the code, so you know you, you can see the provenance of you know who who authored it, but then also who uses it, which is this is pretty interesting. You know, basically, you're, you're building you can say these these applications on Bitcoin that also are building blocks for others and have a whole history of you know who's using them in, in their code. So that's pretty much a new thing. Like that thing doesn't this type of thing didn't exist before. So you know, it'll be quite interesting to see how it develops. I'm a little bit confused. I'm sorry. Maybe I missed something in there. So I asked you about the recursive ordinals. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was that the data kind of like get, can get updated. And so you could have, yeah, like an NFT that sort of changes over time. 
But then now you're suddenly talking about almost like like a mini blockchain within the blockchain where you're kind of tracking state. Um, it, are they the same thing or or did you suddenly start talking about something else? Uh, so uh, let's see. Recursion is referencing other inscriptions. So, um, but there's also this idea of you know how do you track state and changes of state, and that that's also possible w- with these inscriptions, um, w- which is a, a, I guess a slightly different topic. But uh, yeah. yeah, I was talking about about how recursion recursion is you know basically um, referencing other inscriptions, so you can use them in in the building blocks for future inscriptions. So basically a type of composability on, on Bitcoin. Okay. Okay. Um, well, so I have to ask you, you know, because here we are talking about ordinals and there's definitely a lot of commentary about them, but trading volumes are way down. Um, according to Dune Analytics, trading volume in May um, was about 120 million. And for August, it was like roughly 12 million. It was down by 90%. So why do you think that is? And where will the market go from here? Yeah, I, I haven't followed the actual trade volume. So this, you're, you're referencing Orno's trading volume, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I looked that up specifically on Dune. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, the market is very, it, it's a young market. Uh, you know, there, there aren't, it, it's one that the protocol is still being developed. So, you know, it's, I think when the protocol reaches the 1.0 release, uh, it, it'll be uh, more attractive for, for people to work on because, then you, you actually more clear, you know, what you can build and what you can't build. But right now, there are still lots of question marks on that. And yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, NFT volume is down, you know, globally for for all like you know ecosystems. So I think that's just a sign of the, the market right now that we're in. Uh, and in particular for for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Ornos is you know it, it's still very new. So you know. Most people have might have heard of Ornos, but they haven't really actually tried it or or dug in. I mean, the wallet infrastructure is just being developed. There are, you know, two wallets, you know, Xverse and and um, a Leather that are really, um, you know, innovating on and making it easier for people to to use Bitcoin Ornos. But it is still actually relatively hard, you know, hard to use because you know it's so new. All right. Well, one uh, thing that you're working on that could potentially make it a bit more consumer friendly is an ordinals marketplace for digital artifacts. It's called Osura, or maybe I mispronounce that. You yeah. tell me. Um, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So that that is a one. It's just going to be a curated uh, marketplace for for ordinals. It, it's because it is um, kind of the the wild west. You know, we, we want to curate. What we think are kind of the the high end and high quality you know ordinals, and we we see that's also where this market in general will, will go over time because you know Bitcoin is you know basically the the highest market cap blockchain that's considered to be the most secure, so and decentralized and you know so, some great properties, so you know people who have very expensive and high value you know NFTs. Or, or they want to create very high value, you know, digital assets. You know, they probably want to secure them on the most secure chain, and so I think that's opportunity that you know, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Ornos has. So we're focused on, on that market, and also because of the properties of being a digital artifact, it does cost more to create these. And as the transaction fees on Bitcoin goes up over time, it's going to be impractical to be making, you know, let's say, you know, NFTs or digital artifacts that are like five dollars or ten dollars, because just the act of creating them might cost you fifty dollars or hundred dollars. So it'll it'll basically have a kind of a filtering mechanism for people who want to secure you know high value assets. So so that's our focus kind of for the long term of where we think the market will go on Bitcoin. You know, I'd, I'd recommend for people that are uh, students or not of American financial history to read a book by a stock trader in the late 1800s named Jesse Livermore. And he wrote a book called Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. And in that era, as Danny was describing Wild West, there were many, many, many small exchanges all over the place where kind of penny stocks, I'm calling them penny stocks, but just shares of things would trade. And these places were called bucket shops. And he would basically go around and trade on these things. And he made and lost 
a fortune, I think four times that in today's the value would be like a billion dollars. So, you know, make a billion, lose a billion, make a billion, lose a billion. And he kept a journal and he wrote about all of his experiences uh, and why he may have lost money or how he felt. You know, it's just, it's an amazing thing for, for people that are engaged in that kind of thing. And over the years, a lot of those bucket shops disappeared because they were not high integrity places with high integrity assets. And so what Danny and team want to do with Osura is create a place, you know, I don't know that it'll be a regulated place like the New York Stock Exchange, but the world needs a place where there's trust in the trustless system that we are, that the things that you are buying and selling, the people that you're working with have the right motivation to do good and to, to build a system that is meaningful for this world, not just, you know, scam everybody. So that's what Osura is about. Great. Well, one thing is, you know, at this moment, we kind of have um, pretty vibrant communities, uh, NFTs already on Ethereum and Solana. Um, it sounds like you're already, you know, working with some that have made it in in those blockchains to, you know, come and work with you on Bitcoin. What are those conversations like? How easy or difficult is it to try to persuade creators to leave other chains to do NFTs on Bitcoin? Yeah, great question. Well, well, first, I think uh, NFTs will do well on all the chains, or a number of chains will do well. I mean, because they're they're their own ecosystem and they have pros and cons. So you know, Ethereum, like big pro is the smart contracting, right? You can do a bunch with the smart contracts. And Bitcoin's pro is actually this digital artifacts protocol, and also Bitcoin itself, because Bitcoin is that complementary. you know, blockchain security model, right? Because every like everyone else has moved towards proof of stake in some form. While Bitcoin is, you know, we are proof of work. You know, this is that security model. And that I mean that that model is, you know, it's quite significant. I, I think also there's probably just gonna be, you know, one winning proof of work chain just because of the expense of you know proof of work. So so Bitcoin is that um that that chain. The most likely, right? Because it has the biggest network for that. The so we are focused first on actually just art because people understand art as a as an NFT and also as a digital artifact in particular. Also, artists, you know, when they're creating uh, art, you know, they care about kind of the lasting uh, the, or, or the longevity of the medium, right? And so, so Bitcoin Ornos chooses, you know, Bitcoin is the medium for for Bitcoin Ornos, and there's actually a lot of great properties of, of this medium for art. And so, you know, when when that's kind of explained to to artists, then they actually quite appreciate, you know, being able to do this. Uh, there, right now, there's still some technical challenges for being able to do art on Bitcoin, but that that's those are things that are, you know we're working out too. And yeah, so one one of the artists that's coming over, launching on Ashura later this year is, is Alexi Andre, who's well known for friendship bracelets and seven twenty. Um, he, he's been an art blocks artist for a number of years and has some very amazing, you know, generative art pieces. So he's going to be launching a generative art collection, you know, on, on Bitcoin orders on Oshura. And, you know, I think I, I hear a lot of, there, there are more and more artists who are looking into this. It's still pretty early days because we were talking about earlier that the idea of just, you know, tra- being able to do a collection with the standards, it, it hasn't been clear yet. So, you know, if you're an artist, you don't want to just, you know, launch on a unclear uh, platform, but but those are it's becoming more clear, and I think you know towards the end of the year it'll be, you know, you know, yeah, actually a very I think attractive medium for for art, but you can do more for Orn- with Ornos as we were mentioning earlier. So I imagine one of the things that's next on your plate is managing this transition from having the on-chain monkey collection on Ethereum over and moving it over to Bitcoin. Because you already have so many NFT owners out there, talk a little bit about how you're going to do that. Um, you know, it seems like you probably need some participation from them. So it just seems like it might be a really um, challenging proposition. But um, tell me, you know, what what your next steps are. Yeah, so one of the things is, re- like, so NFTs have done pretty well the last, as in bringing new people into the crypto ecosystem the last couple of years. So in, in Ethereum in particular, like actually a lot of people joined Ethereum you know, the, the last cycle who didn't even own Bitcoin or, or, you know, like Ethereum is the only thing they have. Right. So, so now it's actually 
this new thing. Bitcoin is the new thing for them. And so we were educating <laughs> them about, about how basically, yeah, how, how to basically create a Bitcoin wallet. And in particular, yeah, or knows aware of Bitcoin wallet, because as I mentioned, there are only a handful of those. And, and then, yeah, how to basically secure that. And then, and, and it will make the migration very, very simple from Ethereum to Bitcoin and have some interoperability, uh, basically, because we, we have a pretty complex ecosystem already built up on Ethereum. So we're working on you know, bringing that to Bitcoin. All right. Well, it has been such a pleasure chatting with both of you. Where can people learn more about each of you and your work? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's H-U-U-E-P or Danny in lowercase upside down. And I'm just Kite VC, uh, uh, moniker for my kiteboarding venture capital stuff. And uh, Danny, you want to point him to our website? Yeah, so onchainmonkey.com. And that that's both. Also, the Twitter handle is onchainmonkey. Perfect. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you both on Unchained. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Unchained Monkey and Bitcoin Ordinals inscriptions, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Kevin Fuchs, Matt Pelchard, Juan Aranovich, Megan Gavis, Ginny Hogan, Shashank, and Margaret Correa. Thanks for listening. Unchained is now a part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. For the latest in digital assets, check out Markets Daily, seven days a week, with new host Noel Acheson. Follow the Coindesk Podcast Network for some of the best shows in crypto.